John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is in or at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to read it out of King James so you can get the King's English on this as well. John chapter 15, John bore witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me. He was before me. And of his fullness we have received grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared him. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us this morning to discern your word, to let your word speak to our hearts. Lord, to let Jesus Christ be glorified in the understanding of this word, that he would be glorified in us, and that if we do not know him, that you would reveal him to us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So last week we left off in the prologue at verse 14. Uh, two weeks ago, not, not last week, but two weeks ago we left off at the incarnation. Remember we spent two weeks talking about the incarnation and why the incarnation was important. Amen. The incarnation is in view here uh, in verse 15 and it's a review of the apex. Remember I told you the apex of this uh, prologue, the apex of the Gospel of John, the apex of the Gospel itself was here at the incarnation of Christ because without the incarnation, without God becoming flesh, we would not have salvation. Amen? So we see in view here this apex, this climax, the pinnacle, if you will, of the prologue and even the book of John is the incarnation. And John is following this up. Amen. The, the incarnation is one of the single most important doctrines of the church. Why is, the, why is it so important? There's so many things that flow out of the fact that God became flesh that we must realize. Amen. It speaks to Jesus' deity. It speaks to the fulfillment of Isaiah 7:14, where he says, The virgin shall be with child, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which Matthew tells us means what? God with us. Amen. So we see that as, as John is closing this prologue, which is absolutely him just lifting up Jesus Christ and extolling him and exalting him as God, as Savior, as King, as Creator, amen, as God in the flesh. That's how the incarnation is the apex of the prologue, amen. Everything that was spoken from the beginning of the prologue climaxes at the incarnation. 
we see that it is the very beginning of Christ's earthly work of redemption. God eternal, putting on human flesh, graciously saving, redeeming sinful man as his purpose and reason for coming was. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen? So we see the incarnation is the Jesus coming, not just coming flippantly, not just coming uh, with, with no plan, but with a specific goal in mind. Amen? His goal, he told us in, in John 6, is to save all that the Father has given him. Not to lose one of them that the Father has given him. He said, this is the will of the Father, that I should lose none of those whom I've come to save, and that I would raise them up at the last day. So Jesus is coming, and he has come with a specific intent. Amen? So why is the incarnation important? Because God had a plan. And God was fulfilling his plan, his self. Amen? God sovereignly working out his own will. Working out his own plan of redemption. Working the redemption of all who would believe. These are the great truths that we must discuss and realize when we talk about the incarnation. And that was two weeks we spent on the incarnation. Amen? And I don't want to dwell on the incarnation I'm just trying to give you a background from two weeks ago of where we were where we left off amen we see here uh, in verses 14 through 18 the closing of this prologue that John begins again and again extolling Christ the word Christ as God eternal as creator and ending John John leaves no stone unturned in lifting up Jesus Christ and showing you, number one, that he's greater and has a better grace, a better promise of grace than has ever come on the stage of human history. Amen? Leon Morris says about these verses that they show the supreme excellence of of the word and I thought man I want to name I want to title the sermon that because that that's right this this whole prologue is showing the extreme excellence of the word of Christ God in the flesh amen it's extolling him if we can if, if there's any part of the Bible that that when you read it you can see clearly that John sees Jesus as God in the flesh God incarnate the beginning and the end, the first and the last. You got to remember, John's the same person on the island of Patmos that met this Jesus that was taken up into the heavens. And he said, "Who, who?" You know, he said, "I heard a voice behind me speaking, and it said, behold, I am Alpha and I am Omega. I am the first and I am the last. I am He who was dead, but I am alive forevermore.' This John is the John that's writing." This prologue. Amen. We also see Leon Morris says this. He says the prologue concludes with a little section underlining the uniqueness of Christ. And this is the section we're going to be talking about today. The uniqueness of Christ. I titled it a better grace because later we're going to talk about this verse 
grace upon grace, or as the King James says, grace for grace. Amen. But I want to point out seven things before I do. I want to point out seven things about this section of, uh, of scripture that we're going to elaborate on. Number one, we see Christ is superior to the Baptist, John the Baptist. Amen. John bore witness of this. Amen. See, number two, we have all received from him grace upon grace, which is going to be the main context that we're going to talk about today. Number three, we see that grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Number four, we see here the word that is God and creator is finally named. John ends the prologue. Where at the beginning, it was just, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and nothing was made without Him, amen? This guy that's been talked about for 14 verses here in, uh, what is it, verse 17, I believe, is where he, yeah, verse 17, he's finally named. This Word of God, this Creator, the word that was God, finally is given a name. Now a face and a person can be put to this the description given from the beginning of the prologue. Jesus alone has seen God. This is the fifth thing that we notice. Jesus alone has seen God, being God himself, the only begotten incarnate word, the incarnate son of God that was with God and that is God and that at, that is at the Father's side. Only Christ is the revealing, revealed, express image of the invisible God. Amen? If you want some verses for that, let's turn real quick to uh, Colossians chapter 1. If you want to know where Colossians is, it's right after Philippians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says this it says he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation who's he obviously they're talking about christ amen paul is speaking to the colossians about christ and that christ is the image of the invisible god amen the King James, I, the King James says the same thing. I love, I love looking this up because when you look up between different translations and you realize that there's certain words that they don't change, there's a reason for that. Amen. There's a reason for that because it is specific to the language and it's specifically saying that in every translation because that's what the Greek is telling us. Amen. Verse 15 in the King James said, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Same thing. Amen. Go with me, if you will, to uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. Here, 
Paul's giving Corinthians warning about the, the, the enemy is blinding the hearts of people lest they would believe in the image of God. That is Christ is the image of God. Amen. Third, there's one in Hebrews as well. Hebrews chapter one, and I could have picked more. This one is a little less, uh, I would say, full in the explanation, but we're going to read it anyway so you can see it, maybe remember it. Amen. Can I get an amen on remembering scripture? Mm. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, if you look at this in the NIV, instead of the express, uh, where is it? The express imprint, it says the express image of God. Amen. Which brings the same indication. Amen. The imprint, the image now, why, and we're going to get into this, so I won't do it now, but just put this question in your mind. Why did God have to reveal himself in Christ? Just think about that, okay? We're going to get to it, and we're going to answer it, okay? Just put that, in, put that question, file it away in your mind for a minute, okay? And we're going to get to it. So, the last thing that we realize <clears throat> the fifth thing that we realize was that Jesus is the only one who had ever seen God. Did I say there was five of these or seven? Okay, well, there's only five, okay? <clears throat> I, I just, huh? Yeah, I'm still working on numbers. You got to forgive me. I thought I wrote seven down. I only wrote five down. I think I, co I, think I combined two of them, two sets of them, so that I had less notes. <laughs> that's right that's right that's right so let's let's think about that in our mind okay there's only five there's only five things that i noticed not seven okay five one two three four five that's as high as i can go go past that and i get confused apparently <clears throat> but those five things are very important things that we're going to talk about amen very important parts of the gospel. Amen. So let's go to verse 15. Verse 15 says, uh, well, as soon as I get back there, I'll tell you. Verse 15 says, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now, let's just give a background and a introduction to reality, amen. The firstborn is normally the one that is thought of as more important, amen. And, and in the context of even teachers, elder teachers were looked up to as superior, amen. So John comes along, even though he is earthly six months older than Christ, he's telling them, the Jews, that he ranks before me. Amen? 
He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Amen. And we go back to John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Amen. So Jesus, the eternal incarnate son of God, who always existed, was before him. Amen. So John, when he bore witness about Christ, he bore witness that, first of all, that Christ ranked before him. In spite of John being carnally six months older than Christ, John was telling them that Christ ranked before him. And he, he gives the caveat, the reason he ranked before him because he was before him. Indeed, he was before all things. Amen. So John the Baptist even said, Christ was before me. John the Baptist understood that Jesus wasn't just a man. Jesus was God. Therefore, he existed before John the Baptist ever existed. Amen. So we understand not only did John the Apostle see Jesus as God, but John the Baptist saw Jesus as God. Amen. Let your mind be wrapped around that one. Amen. Because a lot of us have no problem realizing that John the Apostle saw him as God. But to realize that John the Baptist understood that this Messiah, this Son of God, his cousin in the flesh was actually God and existed, pre-existed all things before John was ever made. He understood that Jesus was. Amen? Why else would John say, he that ranks, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Because he understood the scripture. John was a prophet. Jesus said, yea, no greater prophet ever has ever came than John the Baptist. Amen. Verse 16. The, the one that I want to spend a, quite a bit of time on this morning. And I didn't realize I must have spilt something on my Bible there. Oh, that's okay. It looked it looks uh, looks like uh, it had a one of those watermarks from like in the dollar bill. I don't know. Man, that's interesting. I hadn't seen that in there before. <laughs> Verse sixteen. I want to talk about this because he says John the Baptist. He he just interjects this. It seems kind of seems kind of out of place where he just all of a sudden he says John the Baptist bore witness of him, right? But you got to understand that he's already met, mentioned John the Baptist a little bit earlier. And then John the Baptist is going to be the very next person that we read in the first chapter of John. We're going to start reading John the Baptist's witness of Christ very quickly here. Amen. Within just four verses, that's where we're going to be. Reading John's witness of Christ. Amen. So, right here he says John bore witness of him. And then verse 16 says, from... For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Now, the King James says we have received grace for grace. Amen? That what the King James says, Mike? Amen. The King James says grace for grace. The ESV says grace uh, upon grace. Uh, now, the wording here in the Greek is not uh, that we have received grace. 
grace in addition to grace. Okay? That's not what it's meaning. It's not, not meaning we have received one blessing after another blessing. But it is more like we have received grace in replace of another grace. Amen? Now the reason why it says this and the reason why we have to read it like this is because in verse 17 he then quotes or then gives a contrast between Moses and the law and grace and truth in Christ Jesus. Amen? Now I want to read a little note to you and it's in Mike's Bible and Mike can read along with me. You can't but Mike can. Uh, we're going to go to this verse. Verse 16 has a note, and I want to read, or verse 17, excuse me. Verse 17 has a note. It says, this contrast between the law and grace and truth is not that the law was bad and Jesus was good. Rather, both the giving of the law and the coming of Christ mark stages in God's reaching out to humanity. Jesus, however, marks the final definitive revelation of God's grace and truth. So what you see here is God, in his graciousness, gave Moses the law for Israel. It was a grace of God that he gave that to them. Amen. But we have in Christ a greater more fuller grace because it reaches a greater multitude of people it is for all who would believe amen so we understand that now it's not i get the law and i get grace it's i now instead of this grace that moses gave me i have this grace that Christ has given me, which is the fuller and the most revealed, express image of God's grace. Amen? It's not a, uh, do you realize that how limited grace was in the law? How limited it would have been in the law? First of all, you had to be a Jew. <laughs> Second of all, you had to follow the commandments. Amen? And if you failed to keep a one commandment, Christ said, you have broken all of the law. Amen. So grace in the law was very limited by the law because human beings are not capable of keeping the law. Amen. So when it says you have been given grace for grace, what he's saying is instead of the limited grace that you had in the law, I'm giving you the full measure. Notice that it says in verse 16, from his fullness we have received grace upon grace or grace for grace. Amen. Out of his fullness, that means the very fullness of Christ, the express image of Christ that's been poured out in the heart of the believer has been given to them. Amen. And it's a greater grace. It is a more profound grace. It's a far more, it's a far deeper reaching grace. It's wider, it's taller, it's higher. That's why Paul said, I hope that you with all the other saints can comprehend what is the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Because the fullness of God rested in Christ. The Bible says that all the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in him bodily. Amen. 
That means all of God was in him. Amen. We covered this when we were talking about the incarnation. Do you see how it's all tied together? Amen. There's not a single strand that's just out here on its own, flapping in the wind, that God didn't know or put there on purpose. Amen. So this grace upon grace is not a grace in addition to grace, but and not a blessing after another, but it is more like a grace that has been given in place of another grace. Amen. Instead of another grace. I want to read one more note here on verse 16. Uh, verse 16 here says grace upon grace. This word is frequent in Paul's epistles appearing in John's writings only in this passage and in as a customary greeting in Revelation 1, 4, 22, 1, uh, 22, verse 21, it emphasizes that salvation is a gift. The Reformation expressed this with the motto, sola gratia, or by grace alone. If verse 17 elaborates on this concise phrase, the sense is that the law imported through Moses was a gift from God's grace that was succeeded by a fuller grace revealed in Jesus Christ. And that is absolutely what the text is teaching, that the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth by Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So on the one hand, grace, the law was given by God through Moses, as a grace but the fuller grace is revealed and given by God through Jesus Christ who is himself God this grace is true grace and the fulfillment of God's grace revealed in Christ verse 18 we see uh, we see also in verse 18 it says that no one has ever seen God. The only God, or in the King James it says, the only begotten Son, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. I have a note on verse 18. It says, no one has ever seen God. It is uh, fundamental that God is invisible without form. 1 Timothy 6.16 says this. Moreover, if God were, a, were to manifest his glory in a form that we could see, his divine purity would destroy sinful humanity. Exodus 32 and 20, Genesis 32 and 30, and Isaiah 6, 1 through 5 testify to this truth. That if we were to see God as he is, we would all die. We would all melt with a fervent heat. Amen. We would be consumed if we saw God. Remember the question I had you file away in your mind. Why did God have to re reveal himself in Christ? Why did God have to put on flesh? He had to veil himself so that you wouldn't die. He had to veil himself. So that when you cry out to him and when you come to the mediator, there is only one mediator, right, between God and man. That is the man, Christ Jesus. Amen. So the only way that I'm going to be able to see God and live until I'm glorified 
is in Christ. Amen? That's the only way. I want to finish this note real quick. Here we go. Yet Christ reveals God. He brings the invisible and the visible together in a way that has no parallel or an analogy or no one else can do. Amen? No one else can bring the invisible and the visible together like Christ, amen, who is the express image of the invisible God, amen? So we see here the reason that he had to come this way, the one of the, one of the reasons, not the only reason, we already said the reason he came was to seek and to save that which is lost, right? But another reason he had to put on flesh was so that we could actually approach God. Amen? I want you to take note that several men had encounters with God in a way in the Old Testament. Moses saw God, yet he did not see God's face. Because the Bible says that he told Moses, you cannot see my face and live. Amen? Why? What does that mean? It means he would have died if he had actually saw God's glory completely with un un uninhibited, uninhibited, and unshielded, un un unmasked. He would not have been able to live and see that. I would venture to say that man was much different after the fall because we see that God walked with Noah or excuse Adam God walked with Adam in the cool of the garden amen Adam had personal relationship with God and somehow sin crept in when sin came into the being there was a separation between God's creation and God himself the fall had detrimental effects, and one of those effects is that we cannot see the living God and live because we are sinful, reprobate creatures who would be consumed by his holiness, who would be consumed by his righteousness. Amen? Finally, I wanted to note that while no one could see God fully, and live. Christ revealed God to us. That's what the text says, right? He declared him to us. Why? But, well, number one, he came to seek and to save that which is lost. Number two, he came to reveal the Father. He said, I've come to, to open the eyes that are blind and to shut those eyes of those who think they see. Amen? So a lot of people walk around, I know God, I know God, I got it all figured out, right? Many of those same people may be the very people that when the, when the day of the Lord shows up are going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't, did we not do this in your name? Did we not do that in your name? He's going to depart from me. I never knew you. Amen? Jesus reveals God to us, makes the unsearchable, infinite God knowable by wretched sinful men he has made him known and hath declared him to us what the king james says amen 
So my question to you today, and I said I would preach the gospel, is this. What do you hear the call today? Amen. Jesus said no one can come to the Son except the Father draws them. Amen. He said my sheep know my voice. So do you hear the voice of God today? And are you part of the flock? Amen. I've got good news for those who are lost. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. And no one will ever call on the name of God that won't be saved. Amen. That's the truth. No one who truly believes in their heart and truly confesses with their mouth, as Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, amen, believe in my heart, confess with my mouth, and I'll be saved. That's Romans 10 and 9. And no one that truly does that will not be saved. He says, he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Why? Because only, only them who truly, truly call and are called will come to me. Amen? Has Christ been revealed to you? And do you know him? And if you're asking like many people do, all the time. Every, this question is on the, on the hearts and the minds of every person who either don't know if they know Christ or they're pretty sure they don't know Christ. And so what do I got to do? The Bible is very clear. Repent and believe the gospel. Amen. Repent and believe. Believe in the gift of God. Believe in the grace of God. Believe that Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Believe that Jesus Christ took your sins and substitutely, substitutionally, substitutionally, substitutionarily died on the cross for you. Amen? He died in your place. Your sin was imputed to him and your, his righteousness is imputed to you when you believe. The very moment you believe, the very moment of regeneration, the very moment that you say, I accept this free gift, it is imputed to you right then. Why? Because it's not based on your good works. It's not based on any foreknowledge of God that he saw, oh, one of these days, Ruth is going to be good enough. It's nothing like that. Salvation is God's priority and God's work. And anyone who believes is already going to be given that grace. Amen. Because he promised whosoever calls on the name of the Lord. Amen. What must I do? Repent. Nothing of myself is involved in salvation other than believing. Amen. My response, and there is a response, even if you're a Calvinist, there's a response. Even if you're a Calvinist, there's a response. God moves upon the heart of a dead, sinful person, lost, dead in their trespasses and sin, and at the very moment that God wakens their heart, boom, there's a choice. Choice is made. My question to you is, do you hear the call of God today? Because if you do, repent and believe the gospel.
By grace are you saved through faith. It is not by works. It's not your own doing. Don't listen to Raphael Warnock. It's the gift of God. Lest any man should boast. Because we would. If we were the ones in control of salvation, that's what we'd do. Look what I did today. Look what I did today. And now you have a whole generation because we've taken God out of salvation. And God's not the one that draws the heart. And God's not the one that's calling sinners to repentance. And God's not the one changing and, and, and wooing and drawing people unto himself according to modern Christianity. That's not what this church teaches, okay? But because they don't teach that side of the coin, it's all them, and it's all they're doing. And they can ascend unto God, but that's not the truth. The truth is, you have to hear the call. And when you hear the call, you must respond to the call. And I hope the call has been heard today. And I hope that today, if you heard the gospel truth and you don't know Christ, whether you're watching on Facebook, whether you're going to watch it and listen to this on the podcast, or you're sitting in this room, I pray that you respond today. I pray that God will win you, save you, redeem you right now. I pray that it happens. Amen. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him and his work only. Amen. Nothing of myself. Nothing. I did this before and I'm going to do it again. It's like someone who's falling into a pit. And God reaches down to grab them. And he grabs a hold of their wrist. And then, and then, once God already has them, then they grab back. Anybody that says they found God before he found them, all they're doing is taking credit for grabbing back once God grabbed a hold of them. Because that's what happens every time a sinner is saved. God gets them first. God picked them, chose them, elected them, whatever word you want to use for this. God initiates salvation every time. Every time. You can take credit for grabbing back if you want. And I won't stop you. Nope. By grace are you saved through faith. Amen. This morning, I wanted to preach that his grace is better. Better than the law, better than following works. His grace is better. His grace is more full, more complete, more revealing of the heart of God than anything that had ever came before and anything that has ever will be again. Christ is the greatest revelation of who God is. And that's where we end in verse 18, getting ready for John's testimony of Christ. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Father God, I thank you, praise you for your grace, for your mercy that is new every morning. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness that calls us that draws us, redeems us, saves us, and keeps us. God, we ask that you would help us go and spread the message of the good news that God has came in the flesh 
so that sinful man might be saved. This is the clarion call of the gospel. This is the apex and the pinnacle of all your work that you have come to seek and to save those who are lost. Lord, we ask that you would do that, that you would use us for your purpose. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.